Welcome to Access College on KPFK 90.7 Los Angeles, a new radio show devoted to helping students and families get better information about college admissions and better access to higher education. I'm your host, Jenny Umhofer. This week and next week, we'll be talking about how to pay for college without going broke as part of our six-part series on the college admissions process. We'll have four more shows over the next four Saturdays at 9 a.m. on other key topics like the college essay, finding your passion, and college personalities. In working with students and families applying for colleges, it's become clear to me that getting into college is just the first hurdle. The second hurdle is paying for it. How much does college really cost? How can we possibly afford it? What kinds of financial aid can we get? Is it worth it to go deep into debt for a college degree? Today, on Access College, a college conversation. Today's tuition topic goes to the core of Access College. It's literally about accessing college, and it goes to the heart of my work as a college admissions consultant, advising students and families on how to access higher education. When I went to college at UCLA in the late 80s, tuition posed no barrier to access. I paid $395 a quarter, $1,200 a year in tuition. Today, it's $12,000. That's a 900% increase. And that's at an affordable public college. Tuition at private colleges these days can be close to $60,000 a year, and the costs keep rising. Tuition sticker shock like this presents a huge problem. Low- and middle-income families are being priced out of colleges at far higher rates. Students emerge from college burdened by six-figure debts. More and more students and families are looking at these tuition figures and wondering whether their college dreams can ever come true. It wasn't always this way. Following World War II, our nation's leaders made a commitment to making higher education available and accessible to anyone who wanted it. Programs like the GI Bill and the Pell Grant opened college doors for low- and middle-income families across the nation. As a country, we decided to give everyone a shot at a college degree. But somewhere along the way, we lost some of that commitment. Tuitions went from $1,200 to $12,000, $5,000 to $50,000, and college has become a long shot for many. And this has families concerned. She's headed to New York University, and we're struggling with that, frankly, because tuition, I think, is about $66,000 a year. So we're looking at uh, various funding options and looking at taking out, you know, a combination of loans and dipping into perhaps retirement savings, which I know is a no-no, but it's going to be a struggle. But we're determined that she should have the same sort of college experience that her older brother and sister had. And you know, we think it's important. We think education is really, really important. And we're just going to kind of grin and bear it and see what happens after four years. At this point, we're taking it one step at a time and one year at a time and and kind of crossing our fingers and, and hoping for the best. But sure, absolutely. I mean, we've read the articles in the New York Times that talk about, you know, kids getting out of college with excess of $200,000 worth of loans. And then, of course, at the end of those four years, they're not necessarily finding uh, any employment, they're certainly not making that much money. You know, they're getting thirty and forty thousand dollar a year jobs when they ha- have their four year degrees. So, so we're taking a big risk. 
she is uh, six years old and going to private school currently, so we're kind of getting a taste of what it's going to be like to afford college. I guess I'm no longer hopeful that she'll qualify for aid or scholarship or anything. There just really isn't a lot of money like when we were growing up. So I'm really hoping that, I don't know, we buckle down and start saving. It's, it's, it's insane because it doesn't matter whether she's going to a little unknown private college or Harvard. It's $60,000 a year. Especially when you're the first one that is going to college from your family, you have no idea. And really college counselors at the schools don't really help you. And you don't know about the financing. So they already have a you know, lower income and everything, have a harder time going through all of this and it's all new for them. Well, you know, I'm really hoping at this point that I'll get a scholarship because, like, I don't want to put all that pressure on my parents and stuff like that. For undergrad, you know, I think that a lot of people would agree and a lot of grads like myself would agree that the undergrad education has sort of become like the high school diploma today. And so I think that, you know, it's obviously a shame that it costs that much to sort of get that level of baseline education to be eligible for a lot of jobs. You know, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of options and a lot of schools you can go to that you know are, are a little more affordable. I mean, since we're talking about private school, we're talking about state school. I mean, I have some friends who went to community college for two years and transferred to a U.S. At UC. You know, it's, it's obviously an affordable option or a more affordable option. The repayment plans that are available to us are either 10-year or 25-year repayment plans. So that's pretty much our only options, and I can almost guarantee that I will not be able to pay off all my loans in 10 years. It'll be the 25. I think we're kind of in the midst of like a very interesting online course revolution where like we're going to see like a lot of students who are going to opt for these free options just because like why am I paying, you know, 60 grand a year or 50 grand a year and in terrible debt for a stamp of approval. So let's get down to basics. There is one simple thing every family can do to help with paying for college. Fill out the FAFSA form. The FAFSA form is the standard form all colleges use to process requests for all types of financial aid, scholarships, grants, and loans. Every school uses the FAFSA, and everyone should fill it out. Today we have somebody who knows and loves the FAFSA form. (laughs) I'd like to welcome Fred Stennis from the United States Department of Education's Federal Student Aid Office to our show. Hi, Fred. Hey, how are you doing? (laughs) Thanks for being with us today. Glad to be here. So first things first, what does FAFSA stand for? The free, I have to emphasize that, application for federal aid. You want to make sure that you get that operative word free clear because a lot of people out there are charging for the application and to help them and so forth. You want to avoid that. So the free application for federal student aid is what it stands for. What is the FAFSA form used for? It is the entryway to receive any type of Title IV financial aid to go to school, particularly for those individuals interested in going to school beyond secondary or high school level. And what is the most money a student can get by filling out the form? Uh, That's going to vary. It's going to vary based on your EFC, uh, stands for Estimated Family Contribution. Everybody has a different EFC number based on the individual household, but you can be awarded as little as $100 up to $20,000 or more. So it just depends on where your uh, EFC is. The financial aid office takes that information and determines your eligibility in terms of which programs you can participate in and how much from each program you'll receive. 
And is there a deadline? You said January 1st it becomes mm. available. Is there a, a latest date that you can submit the form? Good question. The application is good for not a 12-month calendar year, but an uh, academic calendar year. Every year the application, a new application, comes out January 1. Let's say, for example, January 1, 2013, that just passed up until June 30 of 2014. So you have more than a year to complete the application. However, we recommend that you complete the application in the first three months or so, January, February, or March, because that's when a lot of funds are being awarded out in some funds, uh, for example, federal work study, depending on what school you go to and what they uh, offer in aid, those funds may run out, whereas the Pell Grant does not run out. So it's almost like the early bird gets the worm. You may be eligible, but the funds have run out. Plus, it's tied oftentimes to state grants deadline dates. So most state grants are, uh, the deadline dates are around that February, March, April time frame, depending on what state you're from. And can you explain exactly how colleges use the information reported on FAFSA? Typically, once a student completes a FAFSA online, let's say, and they hit submit, we, Federal Student Aid, will process that information and submit the information back to the student in the form of a student aid report, or SAR. We will also send the institutional report. It's kind of the same thing. Their form is called the ISAR, Institutional Student Information Record. But basically, they're kind of a student version and a school version. Once the school gets their version, then they will then evaluate, get the EFC number that was processed by federal student aid, and then they will then determine the eligibility of the student. So I know there is another form the private colleges require called the CSS profile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some colleges do use that form. It's kind of an internal form that they use to evaluate different things or different. It's a form that maybe collects or asks some further questions related to your family or demographic or background information so they can make a determination if they're going to be able to award you other types of aid that may or may not be federal aid. What are some of the main differences between the CSS profile and the FAFSA? They typically all will ask some demographic information about your address and what state you're from and so forth. But they may ask some furthering questions about a major, let's say, that you may be interested in. Or they may ask some more strategic questions as relates to your family background that we don't necessarily need to know or ask for. But they may need to use those criteria because there may be funding tied to those questions. What about people whose first language is not English. Mm-hmm. Are there FAFSA resources for them? Well, our application online and in print is available in Spanish or English, for example. It really shouldn't matter or hinder anybody from submitting or completing their application. We have operators on standby at our customer service, 1-800-4-FED-AID, who are available to uh, answer questions, assist, and help applicants out. We also have a chat, you know, so if they want to type the information, the question in on a chat uh, online, someone will respond back to them in English or Spanish. So we really have done our best to take the hindrance out of the process. Okay, so you can chat mm-hmm. by going to which website? We have two key main websites. The FAFSA.gov is the actual application. Uh, StudentAid.gov is our uh, other resource page. So we've actually taken 17 websites and and combined them all into one. Can you repeat that website one more time? Student, S-T-U-D-E-N-T-Aid.ed.gov. StudentAid.ed.gov. Great. Thanks so much, Fred. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. I'm sure many of our listeners will be thanking you when they get around <laughs> to filling out the form this year. Uh, it's not a problem. Glad to be of service. 
So this is Jenny Umhofer on Access College speaking with Fred Stennis, Outreach Team Lead and Senior Advisor of the United States Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid. Today we have with us Georgette DeVeers, the Associate Vice President and Dean of Admission and Financial Aid for Claremont McKenna College. Georgette has 30 years of experience in financial aid and admissions and is well-respected among her peers and colleagues. So she knows a thing or two about how the financial aid process really works in admissions. Thanks so much for being with us today, Georgette. Thank you, Jenny. I'm very pleased to be here. For those parents who have never been through the college admissions process before, what exactly is financial aid and how does it work? The financial aid, I always like to say, is the access piece to applying for admission in financial aid. There's like two parts to the process. You apply for admission, but at the same time, if cost is going to be of concern as to where you're applying to college, you also want to submit a financial aid application. And what financial aid is, basically, it's the ability to provide resources to families that cannot meet the total cost. And what's significant about total cost is that many families are not paying total cost and what they need to understand there's a difference between sticker price, cost of attendance, and net price. So financial aid gives the ability to determine what the net price is going to be for the family, what they actually have to pay. Financial aid is need-based essentially. There are some uh, examples of financial aid that might have a merit component to and I'll refer to that later. But essentially it takes into account family resources, income, and determines what the family has the ability to pay. That typically is referred to as the family contribution, expected family contribution. Now it is a number. Uh, for some the number might seem very reasonable. For others it may not. It still might be a reach. But there are things or programs that can be also available to help families meet their expected family contribution. So we look at the expected family contribution, subtract it from the cost of attendance. The cost of attendance is a total cost of tuition and fees, room and board, miscellaneous and personal expenses, transportation and books and supplies, basically five components. We see what the family has the ability to pay based on that expected family contribution, and the difference is what the financial need is. And then that's how financial need is determined, and that's when colleges, based on their different resources and policies and procedures, determine what they can award as far as scholarships, grants, work opportunities, and also student loans. Merit-based aid is tied to academic performance or some talent a student may have. So it may be academic, it may be based on artistic talent, it could be some special aspect of that student's abilities. Typically, academic scholarships are based on academic strength of a student. They might be very strong in the applicant pool. They might be a very, they might be a straight-A student, or they might be very strong in terms of their academic program. So colleges will, re, will award merit scholarships based on that characteristic, or it could be based on other type of talents, maybe artistic talent, maybe musical talent. And again, usually it's like some type of competition to determine that type of level of talent that where a school, based on their policies, may wish to award a merit scholarship. And again, all those merit scholarship, talent-based scholarships, athletic scholarships, another example, uh, are based on institutional policies. And not everyone has the same policies in terms of how they might look at that particular quality of a student. So that's the difference between merit 
and need-based. Need-based aid is based on looking at family resources to determine what the family can pay. Merit-based scholarship is based on the result of a student's ability in terms of what they've achieved, in terms of their academic merit, their specific talent, perhaps an athletic talent, that sort of thing. One great program within our state of California from the California Student Aid Commission is the Cal Grant Program. Students have to have financial need, but they also have to have at least a B average out of high school to qualify to receive a Cal Grant Award. A lot of times I think families are concerned, rightfully so, about cost. And the whole way financial need is determined is that a family in many cases that might be from a low socioeconomic background or have very modest income, sometimes they tend to look at only schools that might have a lower sticker price. But remember, everyone determines cost of the expected family contribution the same. So in many cases, uh, a student that comes from very modest means would not pay any more than what it would cost to go to a local public university because everyone determines expected family contribution the same, essentially. You know, some families I work with, especially middle, upper middle income families, they wonder about whether to apply for aid or not. What are some of the factors a family should consider when trying to figure this out? Well, there's a few things to consider as far as that's concerned. First of all, I say that it doesn't hurt to, to apply. You know, it's just like it never hurts to ask. And even families that feel that they possibly may not qualify for need-based aid, I always encourage to apply mm -hmm. because even if the outcome is they do not qualify for need-based aid, it could lead to other type of opportunities. In my particular institution, for example, we offer a zero-interest loan. Zero-interest loan that's not payable until the student has completed their studies at our institution and there's a 10-year repayment that starts after that. If a family uh, did not apply for financial aid and possibly did not qualify for the need-based grant assistance, I can still offer them access to that program. So if they didn't apply, sure. I would not, not know about them. But I think what all families should do, particularly middle-income families, they might be surprised in terms of what their eligibility may be anyway, because sometimes families are, think that they make too much money or to have their income's too high to qualify exactly. for need-based aid. They have to understand, again, getting back to that cost of attendance. Cost of attendance ranges are, you know, range significantly from cost of attendance at public two-year institutions to private institutions that can go as high as $60,000 a year. We have families at my school, because we're in that $60,000 range, that upper-middle-income families that qualify for need-based aid. When I define upper-middle-income, I'm talking about families that possibly are making 200000 a year, depending on what their family circumstances sure. are. Okay. So I always tell families, don't self-select yourself out of the process. There's a new tool also that's available for families as well that's been in place for the last couple of years, actually mandated by Congress, and that all colleges are required to have a net price calculator on their websites. So I'd say go there first, calculate the net price calculator because that's based on that institutional's cost. And if you see the results showing that there's going to be uh, some consideration of need, then that clearly is a case where you should pursue the application. We're in an era right now where everyone's trying to be as transparent as possible so they can provide as much information to families and students to get them through the process. So, and if they don't find that information on the website, contact the financial aid office. You know, you can call, you can email. Financial aid offices are there to provide information and to assist students in terms of identifying resources to be able to uh, allow that student to attend their college. I know some parents find the prospect of applying for aid 
and all the paperwork to be quite intimidating. Mm -hmm. You know, how bad is it really? You know, it really isn't that bad. And over the years, I've done numerous financial aid workshops at high schools. And one of the very first things I do is I, I tell families just in the audience, I said, just sit back and relax, you know, and just kind of listen to the information that I'm going to provide because this really, while it might seem very daunting as far as this process is concerned, when we actually go through the application form, the free application for federal student aid, which all colleges across the country that participate in federal aid programs and institutional programs require, it's not a lot of information that you are required to submit. Now, it may be a challenge for some to gather some of that information, but the key thing about the financial aid process is understanding the deadlines that families much must meet. The FAFSA form is not even available to complete after the first of the year of the award year the student is going to be applying to college. So get over the intimidation. You know, the instructions are very straightforward and simple. I mean, if you still have questions, then contact the financial aid office. Most colleges and universities have programs in place for prospective students to assist them in getting through that process. And while the financial aid office may sometimes be perceived as an office that may be not as helpful, it is there to serve students and wants to be helpful because it helps them do their job for families to get their forms in so they can process the awards. Would you say it's easier than your taxes? Absolutely it is. It's much easier in your taxes because you're only required to submit information, very small amount of information that that you're putting on your tax forms. Now, what I also say when I do financial late nights is that it's best for a student that's going to be entering the admission and financial aid process. This is not the time for parents perhaps to be tax filer procrastinators. They want to get their financial information uh, submitted on a timely basis because as soon as they have their tax information completed, which is a separate process, it makes the financial aid process easier. In fact, the FAFSA now has a link with the IRS that allows applicants to actually request to have their IRS income, some of their income information, transmitted over to the FAFSA form. But so obviously you can't do that until your taxes are filed. So again, there's lots of help in place uh, between various agencies, schools, IRS, that allows families to complete this process a lot easier than than they have in the past. Claremont McKenna College, CMC, we, as other schools, require the FAFSA form, the free application for federal student aid, and all, but we also require additional information. There are many private colleges, CMC is a private college, part of the Claremont Consortium, Pomona, Pitzer, Scripps, and Harvey Mudd, uh, along with many colleges across the nation that require an additional form called the College Scholarship CSS Profile Form. Now, this form does require a little more information than the FAFSA. But the reason for that is that we are awarding significant amount of institutional aid, need-based aid from our own resources that come from alumni giving, from special endowment funds that provide funds to students to be able to make it affordable. So like we're in the category where we're, like I said, a 60,000 cost school, but like 50, over 50% of our students receive some form of need-based financial aid. Again, when you cost $60,000 a year, there's a lot of people that have need, you know, as far as that's concerned. The CSS profile allows us to do a more in-depth evaluation of what family circumstances are. And in many cases, the institutional evaluation that's a result of the CSS profile may even identify a more, how should I say, generous allocation of, of financial aid because we're able to go a little more detailed to determine what the actual expected family contribution should be. Our average scholarship... Uh, package at CMC for the last uh, couple years has been like anywhere between 37000 and 38000 
This is Jenny Umhofer on Access College. I'm speaking with Georgette DeVeers from CMC on financial aid options. So again, so the net price uh, is not $60,000 a year that families are going to pay. But, you know, and again, those experiences vary based on different institutional resources. But one of the things I would encourage families to do is that all of us publish in this age of transparency, percent of students on aid, average award package, average student loan indebtedness, and those, that's the information that families need to gather so they can kind of see where they would fall into, uh, where you know what their need would be or what type of resources they can anticipate they would qualify for. What do you think is going to happen to the cost of college? Are we headed for $100,000 a year? Well, it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Colleges across the nation are, you know, that's a very serious conversation that's taking place across the country from colleges all across the nation, from very public, low-cost institutions to very high-cost institutions like perhaps the Claremont Colleges, perhaps CMC. And looking at alternatives in terms of how instruction can be provided to students, learning as to the time frame that a student might be able to complete their program of study. I think the proposed ranking that President Obama is saying that he's that he wants to put in place, that's that takes a little more conversation in terms of what how helpful that possibly be, may be, but I think the intention is good. But tying it to financial aid, I think there's some things that need to be worked through. Thank you so much, Georgette. If you want to learn more about Claremont McKenna, please go to cmc.edu. That's cmc.edu. For years, U.S. News and World Report dominated the college ranking scene. But as parents have begun to focus on the costs of college, a new set of rankings has emerged. In recent years, Washington Monthly Magazine has been ranking colleges based on bang for the buck by assessing graduation rates, student loan default rates, and most importantly, what it actually costs a family of modest means to attend each college. The Washington Monthly Ratings puts public universities like Cal State Long Beach and the University of Georgia at the top of the heap of schools that provide the most value for your tuition dollars. But there are a few surprises. The best bang-for-your-buck college in the nation, according to this year's rankings, is Amherst College, a prestigious private liberal arts college that has made a point of recruiting low-income students and putting its massive endowment to work in lowering tuition for working families. So even though full tuition at Amherst runs nearly $60,000, a family making $75,000 a year pays only $843 for a full year of tuition. There's hope that this kind of innovative effort to lower tuition costs will catch on. President Obama recently proposed that the federal government develop its own bang-for-the-buck rating system and allocate federal aid resources to schools who perform well in those ratings. This is just one of many proposals out there to help try to deal with the ever-increasing costs of college. But what can you do about all this? The best thing you can do to deal with the rising costs of college is to arm yourself with information. Seek out information about college savings. Use the net price calculators to figure out how much the colleges you are looking at will actually cost. Find out what kinds of financial aid they offer. Learn the financial aid system and how to navigate it. In paying for college and succeeding in college, knowledge is power, and it's readily available if you're willing to look for it. Paying for college is such an important topic that we're going to spend another week on it. Tune in next Saturday at 9 a.m. to learn about how to win scholarships from national scholarship expert Mark Kantrowitz, as well as other critical financial aid information. I'd like to thank the people of Pasadena, Fred Stennis from the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Student Aid, Georgette DeVeers of Claremont McKenna College, and Colin Chalmers, my intern and editor. 
If you'd like to learn more about my work with students and families, please visit thecollege.org. That's T-H-E-C-O-L-L-E-D-G-E dot org. This is your host, Jenny Umhofer, on Access College on KPFK 90.7 Los Angeles. Until next time. You're gone, gone, gone When you fall